Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up? Thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. If you want to support the show, uh, just hit subscribe on the YouTube. That's awesome. Or you can write a review on iTunes under Social Jello with Angelo. Today I have guest David Tavares, the author of Black Robe, the Kempo Kaju Kempo Connection. It was a great interview. Yeah, shared a lot of great stuff. Can't wait for you to check it out. Hey, what's up? So I'm here with uh, I'm here with David. David, uh, for my listeners. I don't, I don't want to mess up your last name. Can you state your name real quick, please? Sure. It's uh, David Tavares. David Tavares. Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, again, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, Well, thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here. And I guess uh, I always say this to all. This is part of the Kajukembo series, if you didn't catch it in the intro. And I always say this to to the listeners of the show. Um, but I always mention it. I don't personally care about, I, I mean, I, I understand that there's a lot of stuff behind rank and belt and that's, that's awesome. That's great. Um, but I don't really focus on a lot of that, but I still ask my guests that do martial arts to talk about what rank or title they have in their, in their style. And in the Kaju Kembo series, you know, this, this involves whatever belt and rank you have in Kaju Kembo. Um, would you mind sharing what your title or rank is in Kaju Kembo? Um, I'm, I'm an 8th degree in um, Chinese Kembo and I'm 8th degree in uh, uh, Kaju Kembo through the ordinary Kaju Kembo Ohana. But, you know, I, they, they say that 8th degree is a professor, but... Um, to me, I just I just like to be called David. You know, I'm a lot more comfortable being called by my given name. Uh, I like that name. It's a good name my parents gave me. But that's that's the rank or the title that 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 I have. Awesome, awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And um, how long how long have you been practicing Kaju Kembo now? I started in uh, June of 1971. Up in a place called Pacific Palisades in Upper Pro City area. Cool. The Upper Pro City area in which state? It's in Hawaii. It's uh, it's a uh, Upper Pro City. It's a place called Pacific Palisades. That's where uh, I started training at the rec center over there in 1971. Awesome, awesome. So in Hawaii, cool, cool. And what got you into Kajikembo? Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was. Purely by accident. What it is is that my parents, uh, at, at that time, they just got a divorce. My mother brought us back to Hawaii. We were living in uh, California at that time. My mother brought us back to Hawaii. And uh, we had a house up in the Palisades area. And uh, my mother was bringing us back from the grocery store. And on the way back, at the, she saw at the rec center that um, there were some kids training uh Kaji Kempo. Uh, they were out in the um the uh, playground area. Half of them were in the pavilion area, half of them were in the playground area. And she looks, she goes, look, there's karate over there, there's karate over there, but you know, they're wearing black uniforms. 
she says, I think I'm going to uh, enroll you guys in, in it. And, um, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I wasn't interested or anything like that. But she ended up enrolling us. And, um, you know, I, I really didn't want to go because I had no interest in it or anything like that, you know. Uh, and um, I went. It was on a Saturday morning. We went over there. And uh, there was a bunch of us, apparently, that enrolled at the same time. And... Uh, I tell you the truth, man, I sucked at it. I, I really didn't like it. I had no interest in it or anything like that. But, you know, uh, I had uh, a real short attention span and everything. And uh, my brother, the, the, the three that in, my mother enrolled was my uh, older brother and my older sister and myself. And they had no interest in it either. They didn't go to classes. I saw that. And uh, so I didn't go to classes. And finally, one day, my mother found out we weren't going. So she asked us, you know, she said, do you guys want to still train in the martial arts? Because I don't want to be paying for nothing, you know, because I heard you guys not going. So my older brother and sister said, no, they didn't want to do it anymore. And then for some reason, I, you know, something told me, yeah, yeah, I still want to go. So, you know, I ended up staying. I still didn't like it. It took me a while before I ended up uh, showing any interest in it or any liking to it. But that's how it happened. It was just all pure you know, uh, accident or destiny, whatever, which way you like, look at it, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, it's really different, right? Everyone has a different martial arts journey mm -hmm. and, um, how it kind of turns out, I guess it can when you, when you're introduced to something as a kid, it's, it's really different than when you decide to choose to do something as an adult. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. there's, there's like a different angle there. So you decide to stick with it, right? You said, Hey, my uh, my siblings quit, but I, I'm gonna stick around and and see where this goes. And um, who who were you training under back then? It, it was the Golden School of Self Defense, but the the guy who was running the, the um, that branch was a guy named Martin Buell, and uh, we were training under him. But we were fighting under the Godin banner, under the Godin patch, and the Godin method. I don't know if you ever heard of Professor Godin, but uh, that's the guy I wrote about in the book along with Joe and Ferrado. Yeah, 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 and that is um, something to mention. If you have, if I haven't, uh, if I haven't mentioned it already in the introduction, which I will mention it in the introduction. Uh, one more time, I'm going to mention it now. Uh, David is the author of. Uh, let me get the book here, so you can kind of see. It. I know it's on the corner right here. I'm going to edit it in, but yeah, he's the author of the Black Robe, the Kempo Kaiju Kempo Connection. If you don't got a copy of it. I'm going to have a link to it in the video description. Um, but yeah, you do mention that in your book. You mentioned that you joined on the go And how, um, I guess, getting back to your, to your journey, if you don't mind, you, mm -hmm. you, something at one point must have clicked, right? When did you start yes. to, when did you actually start to enjoy the training? And what was it that kind of led you into that moment? Well, a lot of the, the instructors there, I don't know if they saw anything in me or, or whatever, but they were, you know, uh, particularly there was a guy named Gilbert Rogudo and, and Billy Takeuchi. They were both really, really good instructors. And like I said, I don't know if they saw something in me or they were just, you know, that way with all the students. But they, you know, they always encouraged me when I did, started making improvements and they always stuck with me. You know, even though they saw me, you know, veering away or not paying attention like that, they would always try and hold my attention because I had a, I had a real att short attention span back there, you know, uh, back then. And, uh, um, 
finally, when I started to improve and I got all the encouragement, you know, nobody really ever did that, you know, for me as a kid. So I, you know, I kind of like that. And uh, all the people that were training with me, you know, they all went to the same school I did. You know, I, I ended up going to, uh, you know, I was new to the neighborhood and everything like that. So I didn't have any friends. But then when they were all training in the martial arts, I started hanging around with all the uh, the kids that trained in the martial arts. And it ended up through my whole from elementary all the way to high school, you know, that all my friends were just all the martial arts guys that I uh, trained with. And uh, that's that's how I uh, stuck with it was because of the, you know, um, the brotherhood and uh, even the competition level. You know, some of the guys, they would get so good, you know, you, you, you want to be like them. You, so you want to train like them and, you you know, uh, you spar with them or you work, work self-defense techniques with them. And that's, you know. They elevate you and they bring you to another level, you know. That's that's uh that's what got me interested and, and kept me going. And what were uh what was Kaju Kimbo like back then? Well at that time it was called uh we fell under the Godin's Chinese Kempo, okay? Because uh Professor Godin many years before that, he, he got kicked out of the Kaju Kempo uh, uh association and he wasn't allowed to use uh, the name Kaju Gempo. You know, that's another story that I'll talk over with you over a beer and cigar one day. But <laughs> he wasn't allowed to use it anymore, you know, uh, because if he did, you know, he'd get taxed on it. You know, Imperato wanted money off of that. And, uh, Adrian, uh, CJ Adriano. So he went under the Kempo, you know, which originally uh, Adriano and, and Joe was back in the day. But he, he did ask permission from... Uh, um, Professor Chow, you know, Grandmaster Chow, he said that like, he's going to go under the, uh, the Kempo um, style. And um, so that's how um, we were. Uh, the Kaji Kempo is my roots. You know, uh, Kempo is uh, at my base. And um, the training back then, it was uh, the Godin method. It was very physical. It was very hard. The, you know, we were kids, but you know, they, they really instilled the, the hard contact, you know. There was a lot of kids that really couldn't take it. The parents, they took them out. And, uh, of course, you know, the friends that I had, he was like, yeah, yeah, you're going to be a quitter. You're, you're going to leave. You, yeah, you panty and shit like that, you know. So, you know, you, you kind of, you know, want to show them, like, no, no, I'm not a quitter. But, you know, it was it was real physical. It was re it was really hard training, you know. And um, it uh, it helped me. Along, along my way in uh, not just uh, the martial arts, but in life, you know, everything is going to be hard. You're going to have an obstacle. You know, it's it's how you deal with it when you face it, and that's uh, that's what the training sessions are like for me. And coming from more of a, you know, we're differentiating the some of the politics behind this and saying it was mm -hmm. at the time it was uh, it was under a Kempo banner, but. Mm -hmm. what, kind of, what kind of techniques were you doing? Was it more striking? Was there more grappling? Were they mixing it up more? Or what? It, it, was, it was a mixture, but there was the grappling was, it was very limited. It was not, nothing like, like uh, today. It was mostly the, the, after you, you do the, the striking and the, the, um, the self-defense techniques, we used to call them grab arts. And then uh, after you take the person down, there was just a lot of... Uh, uh, pounding with the fist, you know, and hammer blows and uh, elbows, and then you finish up with that big stomp, and then you get up, and then, you know, you get back into the fight instead. So the grappling was very uh, minimal, 
but they had a lot of joint locking and a lot of uh, uh, striking and kicks. Yeah, so it's just very like, you know, I come from a, you know, a Kaju Kimball background, as I mentioned before. So again, mm-hmm. being more of the, uh, if you look more at the traditional grab arts, punch and grab a lot of strikes into the takedown, mm-hmm. right? And then following mm-hmm. up with more strikes to, to finish mm-hmm. off your opponent. And you, you know, you know, if I could add something, I'm sorry. To oh yeah, oh, no, please, please, please do. What a lot of people do not know, okay? You know, I I, I got this from a guy named uh, Grandmaster Jason Groff, who who's a successor to Uncle Frank Ordinez. Because when I was I was interviewing and talking to Uncle Frank Ordinez, and Uncle Frank had told me that the guy who created that takedown, okay, back in 1949, he did this with the the Kaji Kempo. He was the guy that added the takedowns with the, the the striking on the ground. You know what they what they call today ground and pound is is Joe Emperado's self defense uh techniques back in nineteen forty nine. That's Joe Emperado's method back in nineteen forty nine. And that is the truth. Uncle Frank would never lie or or fabricate anything like that. You know how how could he come up with something like that, you know? So Joe Emperado is the man who what they call ground and pound today is is the creator of that takedown. Because if you look at all the other traditional martial arts, like karate or anything, it'd be just one takedown and one killing blow, and that's it. You know, the kung fu, you know, uh, whether they, they did any striking after they took the person down or anything like that, I'm not sure. But uh, Kempo, you know, for us, it was, that's what we did, the, the takedown and the, the striking so the person could not get back up. And uh, I didn't know this until I was... Uh, a grown man. Yeah, and I know that. Um, I'm trying to remember. Like, I know that there was a there was a Kaju Kimball man. Did you hear about the Kaju Kimball man in uh, in Game of Death? Did you hear about that? Well, that that was Danny Santo. He originally was Kimball with uh, um, uh, Ed Parker, and then uh, he trained JKD with uh, Bruce Lee later on. But I, I think that's the guy you're talking about. I think so. I think I can't remember the guy's yeah. name. Yeah, so when he came, he came he came out with the sticks at first, right? And then he came with the nunchaku. I, Is that correct? I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying to remember. I'm right now. I'm I'm literally searching online because I remember, I remember there was a there was this documentary that mentioned it briefly about how there was a scene in one of the Padogas where eventually the the guy ends up doing like a. The, guy, the dance of death is the called. dance of death. Yes, that was yeah, it. yeah. The that, dance that was, of death. That was Dan Santo, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over yeah. the guy, and they were trying to say like, and they, they were they were linking the idea that that came from originally came from Project Kemba. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool side note on that. So, what was some of the going back to your story? <laughs> what were some of the challenges you faced in your training? Well, like I said, I had a a hard time learning. I had a short attention span. It's just you know, uh, learning the katas and memorizing it and the, the, you know, the blocks, the strikes, the basics and, you know, just the, uh, even the, the, the physical training part. I mean, I, as a kid, the only kind of, you know, physical training I got was, you know, I played little league baseball back in uh, California, but I mean, nothing like what we were doing, you know, the the squats, you know, and the staying in the, uh, the horse stance for, you know, like, 20 minutes, you know, as, as little kids, you know, nine, nine years old. And, uh, but like I said, it was, it, 
the, the whole thing, I mean, especially the sparring, you know, the combat, I never used to call it kumite back then, but, you know, I, I never really experienced anything like that. And, uh, um, but, you know, they, they, they would talk to me and, and tell me, you know, it's, you know, everybody is nervous, you know, when they, when they get into a, uh, a pressure situation, but, you know, you have to learn how to overcome it and, uh, really not show it. But, you know, it, it was just every, everything. It was, it was a battle for me. And, uh, I always had, uh, uh, my martial arts brothers there to help me along in my instructors. And, and, um, that, that's, uh, that to me was a lot of struggles that, that I went through as a kid, uh, learning, uh, the martial arts. And at what point did you end up getting your black belt? My black belt. See, there's there's a big controversy in uh, my ranking. What it was is, um, I'm glad you asked that question. By the way, <laughs> it, it'll take some time for my answer, but it, oh, it'll please, be crystal please. clear. Uh, yeah, okay. as many well, details professor, as you want. <laughs> okay, Professor Godin, in his method at that time, okay, you could not wear a, a solid black belt rank unless you're the age of 18 years old. You have to have the maturity of an adult, a strength of a man, the strength of a grown woman, you know, and as I said, the, the maturity of an adult. So they always held you at, a, at um, if you were under 18, at, at a junior black belt rank. So the tests were exactly the same. Right? <laughs> the test was exactly the same. So I was, um, did you just sneeze? Yes, uh, no, I coughed. Yeah, black, sorry, black, black, <laughs> it, was, it was a cough. It was a cough. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> sorry, but, but anyways, I, I got my I, I reached the level of junior black belt in 1974. I, I believe I was eighth grade. Uh, I was like 14 years old, and all the way from 74 till 1979, I, I held the junior black belt rank, and um, I, I left for the army in um, August 79, and then. Um, from there, you know, I would work out with the other martial artists while I was in the army. But anyways, when I got back from the army, I, I did some boxing and I won this, uh, the, the, the flyweight the title uh, in 1983. And then a friend, a guy who, a guy who once was my friend who trained with the Godin system with me, you know, he, he, he trained in like in 1969, I came in 71. But we were, we were friends at one time. He opened up a, a, a branch under Martin Buell. Martin Buell had broken away from Godin um, before Professor Godin's incarceration. So he was like under this thing. It was called the Universal Kempo Karate Association. So he said, David, I need help teaching at my school, you know, because I got students and there's not enough instructors there. So I was like, oh, man, shit, I don't want to go back under Buell. I don't want to listen to his shit, you know, because... You know, I had a fallout with Buell, and he goes, no, 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 you'll be with me, and eventually I'm going to break away and, you know, be my own guy and everything. So I said, all right. So I said, well, what am I going to do? I, you know, I, if, if I put on a black belt, you know, Buell's going to be all, you know, I have a hissy piss fit, you know, so he says, just wear your junior black belt. So I was like, oh, shit, you know, I had to go look for my old junior black belt, and put it on, and I was the oldest junior black belt in the, the martial arts. But anyways, um, the guy ended up breaking away, and then he told me, okay, you know, you're going to have to test for your black belt now under me. And I was thinking, oh, well, shit, man. I mean, you know, I, 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 you could call it conceited or what, but I was thinking, like, God, I, I got black belt level. I proved that back in 1974. I did the test. And, you know, I, 
won the boxing title and everything. I thought, you know, maybe that would, you know, you know, I can do all that. He goes, yeah, well, you're going to have to do it under my system. So I, I, I went through his shit. I, you know, I got my black belt and then through his system. And I kept teaching at his school. There was a fallout between me and that guy. And um, when I left his school, he sent me a letter saying, give me back my black belt. And in fact, I wrote a, my, uh, a I wrote a chapter in the, the book about it, you know. And I said, well, you know, take your belt, you know, you can have it. I, I don't want to be associated with that guy, you know. So it ended up, uh, you know, I, I, I still wore a black belt, you know. I mean, it's just like, I think you, you agree with me that the black belt, you know, it, it's what you wear. You have to uphold it. You've got to have the skill level to back it up. I mean, that black belt is not going to fight for you on the street, you know. If you're not worth the shit, you know, that, the, the guy who's going to mug you is going to take that black belt, wrap it around your neck, and tie you from a freaking tree with that. You know, you got to be able to uphold that rank and be have the skill level. But anyways, good Professor Goodine, he had heard what happened. He said, hey, you know what, David? You know, he, he, he recognized me, and he signed the certificate, you know, saying that, you know, I see you as a fifth-degree level. You know, you go ahead, and you, you wear the black belt, and, you, you know, you're a fifth-degree. So my black belt, you know, to be recognized, you know, by, I guess you want to say legitimately or whatever through bloodline level, you know, it was through Professor Goldine many years after I joined, like in the, you're looking at like in the nineties. So it took me like about like 35 freaking years to get a black belt. I mean, you know, legitimately on paper and everything like that. But you know, the people that I trained with, they saw me as a black belt back in 1974. But if, you know, you're still going to have those pencil-pushing, pencil-geek guys that will say, like, nah, nah, yeah, guy ain't, he's nothing. He's, you know. But, I mean, I, I don't give a shit. But, but um, that, that is my lengthy story of me getting my black belt, you know. Now, that's, uh, you hit on a lot of different points that I, I wanted to talk about with you. Um, uh-huh. So, like, uh, that's why I always mention about the rank. Like, for me, mm-hmm. and again, before I, I speak my opinion, I just want to say this is just my opinion. They're not, they, mm-hmm. you, you can take, with it, what you want, but mm-hmm. the black belt. Once you've earned it, once you've mm-hmm. earned it, once you once you've done whatever it needs to get done to have that put around your waist. I think this. I think there needs to be a very big clarification between mm-hmm. someone who who was awarded a black belt in whatever style and I don't care what style we're talking about here and this is this 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 goes across styles cuz this drama goes into even brazilian jiu jitsu and as you know I cross train right so I train with the Gracie yes. Uh, yes under the Gracie Barra banner and mm-hmm. they've had a problem even in jiu jitsu with these people these quote unquote fake black belts and you see this online mm-hmm. you see this online quite a bit fake black belt gets destroyed by real black belt in tournament you look that up you'll see a bunch of them and in some of the mm-hmm. videos, legitimately, it's some moron who bought their black belt on Amazon or ordered it online, and then thought they can go into a jujitsu tournament and compete and get their just get their ass handed to them. But in mm-hmm. some in some cases, they actually are legit black belts that got awarded their black belt. They just were completely outskilled in that. I mean, they're going up against a world champion. I, mean, I don't I don't know people people who don't do martial arts may not understand that like. When you have a black belt, you try your best, you train hard, but once you're in competition, like there are, there's a lot of strong people in this world and you may be you may end up in a situation where you are outclassed by another person who also holds a black belt. A black belt is not does not make you a superhero, you know? Like 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is correct. You do have some skills there. There's good skills behind it. But there should mm-hmm. be a differentiation, I want to say, on the internet. When people say fake black belt, um, sometimes, I, for, for me, a fake black belt is someone who has bought and paid money for their black belt. Like someone who did never trained, someone who never did shit, someone who just went online. Because I've met people like that. I've literally met people mm-hmm. that never fucking walked into a dojo or anywhere in their life. And they just at home did some training, did some push-ups, watched some videos, and just ordered their black belt online and started going into tournaments. I've met people like that. Legit frauds. And to me, that is a fake black belt, in my opinion. Um, now, if for some reason there's drama behind yeah, someone... Yeah, and they really, they really... No, no, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, what I was going to say, you know, the, the, the people like that, they really make the martial arts look bad, you know, they... You know, when they when they go out there thinking that, you know, that they are a black belt, they just really lie to themselves and, and they go out there and just literally embarrass themselves, you know, and they embarrass the art too, you know, if people see that, you know. Yeah, that, that's that's the thing. Yeah. They, they, and they do see it. And now with the internet, they uh-huh. they really uh-huh. see it. So like, so yeah, that's something I always want to clarify. Like, you went through some, uh, you went through some drama, but in my opinion, in, at no point were you... A fraudulent black belt like just to, to point eight like yeah you trained you went you trained under a different banner than you trained under you know you trained you turned under the kempo that was still a branch that kind of broke off from kaju kempo then back into kaju kempo but in throughout your mm-hmm. whole story there was never a point where you were like well you know i'm having some troubles here so i'm just gonna go ahead and print out my certificate and <laughs> order my black belt online there was never that fucking point so like mm-hmm. just to clear that up um to my listeners who are listening, trying to keep up with all this, because sometimes they're not martial. A lot of people that listen are not martial artists. So mm-hmm. to those to those listeners, I just want to point out that when when a martial artist talk about a fake black belt, sometimes it will include this other thing that has to do with lineage and bloodlines, and that's a whole different political story. That's what I want to really clear up. That's a whole different story mm-hmm. as compared yes. to what what. Uh, someone who doesn't do martial arts would consider a fake black belt, which is someone who just purchased their black belt. And then the second thing I wanted to say was I'm dumbfounded by the idea that someone can take away a black belt. I I don't want it to get political here. <laughs> I just, I honestly don't understand it. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand how... If you trained, you earned your black belt, they gave it to you, you sign a certificate, they certify you as a black belt. I, I understand maybe them saying that maybe 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 in a situation, a hypothetical situation where you do something really horrible, like become some sort of mass killer or murderer, something really unethical. I understand mm-hmm. an association saying that we are disassociating ourselves from this individual. They don't represent mm-hmm. us as an association because of their personal acts but even under yes. under that situation that person's still a black belt they might be an asshole but they're still a black belt yeah because they earned it no right? you yes <laughs> you, you are you are correct they did they did earn the rank and they they already got the knowledge and they got the skills that nobody but god can take away you know i understand what it is you're saying if you know if they would have said like in our system you're no longer recognized as a black belt but i had this you know i'm glad you mentioned it angelo because the 
you know, I, I, I kind of mentioned in the book that there was this guy that trained with the guy that I, I trained with this guy. The guy's name is Lee. Uh, Lee. Yeah, well, Lee, when I, when I uh, broke, when I left that school that I was teaching at, okay, the, the guy's name was Vieira I was teaching for. But anyways, he was saying like, oh, who are you going to get your rank from now? You know, and I was like, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm not looking for the rank. But I said, hey. he says, well, nobody's going to legitimately see you as a black belt. Again, I was thinking, like, how in the fuck is that going to be? Because they see me in the tournaments already. They, they see me in the martial arts community. You know, so he says, you know, because you're not associated with uh, with uh, anyone and you have no legitimate, you know, I guess paper trails, you know, to show that you are a black belt. But, you know, like, I I, I didn't give a shit about that. Their, their thing is, is about rank. I'm about... Uh, skill level, uh, being able to uphold the skill level, being able to uphold the rank, you know, the character that goes with the rank. And, uh, you know, so that's, uh, that, that, that is the conversation that I had with the guy and, um, uh, my, my idea of the, uh, of, of the, the level of, uh, belt that you have, you know, uh, whatever you recognize that or people recognize you at a certain rank. I don't care what people really recognize me, but I was very flattered and, and I was very honored that, you know, um, you know, Professor Godin, before he passed away, uh, he, he promoted me at his tournament to a sixth degree. I put in the book fifth degree because I, he promoted me to fifth degree, but I didn't have the certificate to show that, you know, I was a sixth degree because I lost it somehow in the, when I moved, when I bought a house. And I ended up finding uh, the certificate after, you know, up in the attic, you know, uh, after the book was published. But anyways, it, it was a, a long time. The sixth degree in the Godin uh, system, I, I, it was the highest I got. And it was like years later that uh, uh, Uncle Frank, a Kaji Campbell man, you know, along with uh, a guy named Jason Groff. You know, Jason. ultimately it was Jason Groff who helped me get that rank because he was the guy that, you know, you know, uh, gave Uncle Frank and told me, yeah, go ahead and promote this guy because Uncle Frank didn't know who I was or anything like that. So uh, I was very honored that the co-founder of Kaji Kempo recognized me as an eighth degree level in Kaji Kempo. And, uh, of course, people will say, like, well, that's just in the ordinance Kaji Kempo, you know, not in the KSDI or uh, this other uh, organization. But, you know, I, I don't care, you know, as long as I was recognized by, by that man, you know, and... um was promoted to that rank I was honored and uh it, it was it was really an honor for me and uh you know that's it meant a lot to me that's awesome but I still I still I still don't I still really don't like uh being called professor or anything like that because you know I there's just uh too many of them around and <laughs> you, you, know, you know you see what I'm saying right? no I've had I've had I've actually, I like I, I, I've had grandmasters say the same thing <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's funny. So I'm out here in Japan, right? And so my students, yeah. my students just call me sensei. And like, it's weird. It has to do with the uh -huh. Jap a Japanese culture thing is like, yeah, yeah. In, in Japanese culture and even in Chinese culture too, like I went to China and trained out there for a while. But um, in, oh, Jap wow. in yeah. Japanese culture, being called a, just a teacher, just a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They have a really high honorable status for people who are teachers, just teachers, yes. and you can teach anything. Yes. It doesn't have to be just martial mm -hmm. arts. Just like 
in general, society out here really values people who put time into teaching what they know to the next generation, whatever that is, mm -hmm. piano, yeah. science, martial arts. Mm -hmm. So like what tripped me out is, I mean, I teach, I'm an English teacher by trade and people mm -hmm. as an English teacher that I never met would be calling me sensei. Like I'd, I'd be, mm -hmm. I'd be out shopping and some parent, a parent, I understand a kid telling me, calling me a sensei because I'm their sensei, but I'd have a parent mm -hmm. go out to him and be like, mm -hmm. hey, you're Angelo sensei. Nice to meet you. You're, you're, my, you're my son or you know, daughter's uh, English teacher. And they'll call me Angelo mm -hmm. sensei out in public, which is still weird. I'm just, I tell them, just call me Angelo. Like, <laughs> this is weird yeah, for yeah. me. Like, yeah. you call me sensei because I come from the martial arts background. But then when you add the martial arts background to that, mm -hmm. it's a very honorable thing just to have that title of sensei. Just to be a sensei, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think in uh, in Kaji Kembo as well, just to have the title for me, the title of instructor, I kind of carry mm -hmm. some of that Japanese philosophy. Just that title to like to give someone the not just honor and respect, but to trust. To give mm -hmm. someone your trust. Hey, this is my child. I trust you to teach them how to protect themselves. And whether yeah. whether it's whether it's Sifu, Sigong, Professor, Sensei, that trust, in my opinion, is what, what it's all about. Is that society, the community trusts you to have their children. That's a great honor in itself. Like and it's great if it comes with a title. Hello. But, oh, can Plus. you hear me? Connection there? with you, dear. Oh, right here. Yeah, I kind of lost connection with you. Oh, okay. Are you here? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes, I can. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. That 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 in itself, I think, is a, is a really is a really big thing. That if if you're teaching martial arts, is something that to to remember, I guess, or to think about. Yeah, the res the respect part is is really what I noticed. The uh, is really kind of being neglected down in the, the martial arts is that's just like you, you know because you're you're you live in japan and uh you know i only went to japan once for that that uh that mma fight and they're really a lot more respectful to the martial artists over there that i learned you know they really it was a lot different than fighting in the states they're a lot more respectful uh, uh because it's just one of the birthplaces of the martial arts and it was just uh, uh I was really uh I was really um honored by that. I mean just you know, it really surprised me the the respect over there for the martial arts. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a total different outlook, um, in general. But like yeah, that that was something that um that I'm always I'm always kinda of reflecting on. Like when mm -hmm. when it comes to to titles and, and whatnot, but I really appreciate you kind of going through that journey. So you you ended up now you're you're doing your thing. Um, if you don't mind me switching gears a little bit, I kind of want to talk about your book. And uh, okay, go ahead. While we talk about your book, I don't want to. I don't want. I'm going to try my best not to give yes. away key points of the book because I I want people to read the book to get those surprises and, and experience it the way I experienced it. Cause I really did enjoy reading it. I like how you wrote it from a very relaxed perspective. Like, you know, you wrote as it, the way I'm talking to you right now, which I, I felt like, mm -hmm. I felt like I was sitting in a room 
for those of my listeners, if you pick up the book, you're going to feel like you're just sitting in a room talking to David. That's exactly what it feels like. And I, I like that. I felt like I got, I felt like we've already had a conversation. Just, I was listening to you and you didn't get to hear me say anything back. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> thank was, you. Thanks. Dude, yeah, it was, I, I liked the way you wrote it. Um, thank you. In the book, um, what would you say the book is about? I don't want to say it. I'm going to let you say it. What would you like to tell my uh, listeners? What's the book about? The book mostly, it focuses on uh, what happened at night um, back uh, uh, in uh, 1958 on um, Memorial Day weekend uh, when Joe and Parado, he, he got failed. Uh, he, he got stabbed and uh, he, it, it took his life. You know, Professor Godin was with him that night and, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, bad narrative um, on what really happened. I think a lot of people, they went by what uh, was written in the, uh, the newspapers. That's what they went by. And I believe, you know, I, this is going to cause a lot of backlash too. Uh, I believe uh, CJ was the same way. I really don't believe that, that uh, he really knew what really had happened to his uh, brother, you know. Because, it, you know, I'll get back to it, but, you know, since I'm on this point, because I, I got a chance to speak with uh, Michael Imperato, who's uh, the grandson of Siju, and he, he had told me, you know, he read the book. He said, uh, you know, David, for many years, we, we never, nobody knew what happened to our uncle. We never knew what really happened to him. You know, a lot of times we, we couldn't even talk about it because it was, it was such a, uh, uh, a taboo subject and, and uh, the other granddaughter Gwen said you know why, why do you think that was David and I, I told her I said you know sweetheart I, I think it was because they really don't know what had, what had happened and so the book is about what happened to clear make it clear what it was that my instructor and Joe did what, what brought up uh, about that fight and to show that my instructor did not leave Joe to die okay he didn't leave the, leave him to die with three guys, you know, uh, on him. And it, to do that, I, I had to talk about who my instructor was, Walter Godin, what his background, and when he started training, his beginnings, his Kaji Kempo beginnings, and just a, a little bit of uh, in-betweens of what happened. I go, uh, I, I just, I tell about what uh, his beginnings and you know, all the way up to, um, uh, a certain point when he was in a white belt, you know, I, I won't give that away, but, but, uh, in order to know who Professor Godin was, you know, I got to tell a little bit about myself, the guy who's telling the story. So I just gave a little bit of my background of who I was, where I came from, talked about my instructor, talked about Joe Imperato and what happened that night. And I wanted people to know, uh, what had happened and exonerate my instructor from the Kaji Kempo world to show that what was being told to them or was not being told to them all these years, it would clear his name. I mean, my instructor passed away back in 2001, many years ago, but he always told me that he can defend himself. He didn't give a shit. I mean, Professor Gooding, he was a guy who just said that it was what he goes, I don't give a shit what people think about me. He says, but it's my family who carries my name. I don't want them to have that, that, uh, that tag that, you know, oh, Gooding, the guy who ran and left you to die. You know, so I, I did that to clear the Godin name, clear my instructor's name. And anybody who trained under the Godin bloodline, you know, that 
their name is clear too. That that my instructor, he stayed and he fought, and he uh, he he fought to save Joe's life. And uh, it's not my story; it's the story that's written on the police transcripts. You know, what what the witnesses say, what the assault, uh, the three assailants say. You know, and that's what it is. It's just all facts, and it it has the aftermath of what had happened, the the uh, the verdict of the court, and what happened to um. Shimabuku, uh, George Shimabuku, the guy who had st uh, stabbed uh, Joe uh, and uh, the, the two other assailants and what happened to them. I even tried to get in a, uh, an interview with uh, George Shimabuku back in 2002, I think it was. I, I showed the, the letter inside there, uh, inside the book. And uh, apparently I, I found out that there's, other, there was a, there's another Kaji Kempo grandmaster that I guess he read the book and he wants to get an uh, interview with uh, George. And George is still alive. He's about 83 years old right now, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody. And he never will. He's, uh, he's, he's a born killer and I don't think he'll ever change it. I mean, he has to face God with that, with uh, what he did, uh, all the, the lives that he had taken. Yeah. That is what the book is about and a little bit of my experience. You know, I, I talk about a little bit of the Japan experience, you know, not as, as, a, as a, a, a bragging thing, but to, to show them that, you know, I was, I was age 47 when I did that. And a lot of people, you know, um, you know, they start to, you know, fade away or they break away from the martial arts because they figure that they're too old. I, I wanted to tell of my experience and maybe to keep them to inspire them to keep going, you know, you never, you can push yourself beyond your limits, you know, as long as you train with the right people and uh, people encourage you and, and, um, you know, you can, you can still do the martial arts even at a, at an older age. Now that it inspired me, man, I, I'm, uh, I'm 38. And as you know, like with modern day UFC and MMA, mm -hmm. the 40, man, 40, 40, mm -hmm. 40 is the new 50, I guess. So like 40, yeah, yeah. 40 is when they're already, your coaches and your team will start pushing you to start retiring around 40. Yeah, so like, yeah, so like, yeah. Well, well, see, those, yeah. they keep constantly fighting. So there's a lot of wear and tear on their bodies too. And they get shop worn and all that. And so I think that they have to, you know, like mine, it was just a, a one-time thing. I was going to see, like, I, I got to see, I got to win one more time. I want to go out one more time as, as champ. You know, I felt uh, I felt short, but you know I put a pretty good fight. You know, I got respect from uh, from my opponent who was like twenty six years younger than me, and uh, and um, uh, the the people up there, you know, the Japanese uh, uh, promoter and uh, the fight doctor, they they uh, they shook my hand. They told me you know good job and everything. So I, I felt good about that. Yeah. No, that that story is inspiring, man. It is. I like I said, it inspired me. I'm. I'm being told to retire soon, and it made me feel like you know what? I still, I still got some time left. I still got some time left. All right. All right. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you something. What's what's pretty funny, Angelo? Is, um, uh, at that time, Randy Couture was the oldest fighter in the UFC. At that time, he was like 43 years old. He was still fighting, and I said, "I'm going to see if I can, you know, do it." I was at 47 at that time. And then I came back, I was thinking, God, I don't think everybody, anybody's going to break this uh, 47, you know, competing at 47. And, and the next year, you know, Tommy, uh, Tommy Lamb, he brought up uh, another um, team up to fight in Japan. He brought this 48-year-old guy, and the 48-year-old guy won. I was thinking, God, my, my, uh, 
my uh, record was broken like uh, <laughs> real quick, man. I guess you know, <laughs> records are meant to be broken. Man. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. <laughs> but still inspiring, yeah, inspiring yeah. nonetheless, man. Still very inspiring. All right. Uh, yeah, that's. I'm, I'm glad you put that in there. And um, another thing, I'm going to repeat to my listeners and to anyone who, who's going to check out the book. Very, it was very objectively written. He only states what he just mentioned right now. The research for the book, he puts transcripts, you read the transcripts, you come to your own conclusions off of that. I came to my own conclusions. Um, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to ruin anybody who wants to read the book. But I do encourage you to read the book and just read it and come to your own conclusions. You know, just it's, it's stated in a very factual way. Um, there's no hyperbole. So just check it out and go from there is my recommendation. Yes, thank you for that. So, David, kind yes. of getting ready for the for a few of the wrap up questions here, man. What are your so, plans for the future? What do you What do you want to do? What What are some of the things you want to do for your for your for your martial arts? What are some of the things you want to do for for Kaiju Kemba? What What are your plans? I uh, just keep uh, training, keep learning, try and teach every once in a while. You know, to keep the sword sharp. That's all. That's all you can do. We're, People don't understand we're not masters of the martial arts, but we're students of the martial arts. You know, it's a, it's a continuous learning process, you know. I mean, it's just like a doctor, you know. Doctors, they call them practice. They're practicing medicine. We're still practicing martial arts. We still, we still strive to master it knowing that we'll never reach it, you know, never reach perfection, but we still strive for it. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my goal is just to keep doing those things. And... Uh... What's your advice for someone interested in martial arts training who's never done any martial arts? What, what, what kind of advice? Because a, a lot of people listen to this, and um, some of them aren't martial artists at all. So what's your advice for someone who's kind of dabbling? You know, they, they might be listening to this podcast thinking, you know, I like this podcast. I've been thinking about training, but I don't know. What, what's your advice for someone like that? Well, it's it depends on what what their their goal is, you know. Be it, you know, at the the competition level, or or if it's a a spiritual level, or self defense, you know, it, it's what 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 they're looking to get out of it, you know. Um, it, it's just like searching for a, a a car, you know. I I don't think that they should go to the find a martial arts school and then join at the first one that they see, you know, you got to look around and see, because to an untrained eye, you know, any, you can look impressive, but you have uh, different martial arts schools, look at the instructors, you know, um, make sure, you know, how they interact or communicate with their students, you know, you, you don't want a guy who's, who just literally just beats the shit out of their students, you know, and, you know, want to show them how good they are instead of trying to get them uh, to be good martial arts or good uh, productive people in the community. You know that's uh, that's my advice to them. You know what what it is that they they ultimately want to uh, become as a martial artist. You know, a lot of people they they they, they neglect the spiritual side, and that's that's uh, that's one of the levels I, I try and reach. You know, I try every day. It's it's hard as shit. You know, you you try and you try and uh, you know be one with yourself or be a person. You know uh, that. Uh, like a good Christian, you know, I, I, I grew up in a good uh, Christian family, but yeah, I'm not a good example of a Christian. I can tell you that now, man. <laughs> Don't try to be like me, man. But, you know, I still try and hold on to my faith and I try and practice my faith and I try just like the martial arts. 
You just got to keep going. Never stop. That's my advice to them. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story with me, brother. Um, we're going to do the wrap up here. Again, thank uh -huh. you very much for being on the show. Is there, okay, um, is there any links or any type, any website that you would like to direct the listeners? Because I can, I'm going to include everything in the YouTube. So anybody watching, it'll be in the YouTube, it'll be in the YouTube description. You can click any of the external links for the book and stuff. But is there anything verbally that you want to say a website? Well, or? you can, you can, you can go to uh, blackrobe.net. You know, you, I think it's black robe with the the uh the dash and then you put dot net you can go to that that's just my site my website and then there's also uh on the facebook on the social media facebook it's on their black robe uh you can also go to amazon uh dot com look up black robe david tavares and then uh it'll have my book all right cool well there you have it um check out blackrobe.net and um for my listeners stay tuned for the wrap-up so that's the interview and this is the wrap up. Thank you very much for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. As you know, I've been getting into some comedy. You want to check out some of my jokes, you can jump out on the LOL Lounge playlist. Has a student my stand-up. Um, I performed some stand-up last month and uh, you know, it's something that I'm getting into. If you also want to check out learn more about the show, www.socialjello.com. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit subscribe. If you want to be on the show, feel free to send me a message on Facebook or email me or even comment right here on YouTube and I'll get right into you. All right. Catch you all later. Peace.